This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university located in San Francisco on unceded Ramaytush Ohlone land. What would it be like to live in a well-rested world? For far too many of us, we have claimed productivity as the cornerstone of success. Brainwashed by capitalism, we subject our bodies and minds to work at an unrealistic and damaging pace. In this world, rest, in its simplest form, becomes an act of resistance and a reclaiming of power because it asserts our most basic humanity. Trisha Hersey, a.k.a. The Knapp Bishop, is an artist, theologian, and the founder of The Knapp Ministry, an organization that examines rest as a form of resistance by curating sacred spaces for the community to rest through collective napping experiences, immersive workshops, and performance art installations. Trisha's work is rooted in spiritual energy and centered in Black liberation, womanism, somatics, and Afrofuturism. In this episode, Trisha is joined in a conversation with CIIS Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Damali Robertson, on the liberating power of rest, daydreaming, and naps as the foundation of healing and justice. Sharing insights from her latest book, Rest is Resistance, Trisha casts an illuminating light on our troubled relationship with rest and how to imagine and dream our way to a future where rest is exalted. This episode was recorded during a live online event on October 20th, 2022. A transcript is available at ciispod.com. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. Thank you so, Thank you so much, Alex. Um, first, before anything else, I want to say, Trisha. It is my great honor and privilege to talk to you tonight. I feel like I'm talking to you on behalf mm. of all of my Black women, all the Black women who are here in community with me now, but all of those that came before me, my grandmothers and their mothers. So thank you, mm. Tricia, for this work. And congratulations on becoming a New York Times bestseller. How are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling good. You know, I've been really um, keeping my energy together and grounded as much as I can. I'm so excited to be doing this virtual talk with you because um, it's a nice time to have a nice conversation now that the book has been out for a little bit. Only a week. So it's been out for like maybe seven, eight days. I don't even know. I'm on the road. I was, I'm in um, LA right now, but I was just in Chicago. So I'm feeling good. I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude. I can't even think of a word to say how thank you. Thank you. If I said thank you a million times, my ancestors in the creator, it wouldn't be enough. So yeah. That's amazing. I do want to start our conversation uh, 
in that place, in the ancestral realm. Mm -hmm. I read your book, you know, cover to cover. And one thing that struck me was the way that you lifted up your ancestors in the book. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to start with your father, Willie, Percy, and your grandmother, Aura. And the thing that I thought that I would ask first is how they inspired this work and how you think they're feeling in this moment. Yeah. I know that they're, I know my ancestors love me, you know, like I don't have a doubt. I love them so much. So there's this mutual deep connection and love. Um, I was raised in the black church, the Pentecostal denomination. My dad was a minister in the black church. And so we believe that, you know, death is not the end, you know, it's just the beginning, mm. actually. And um, we don't even call funerals funerals, they're called home goings. You're going home, mm. but you're still here. So in the realm with us, you never leave. It's um always present. So I do feel their presence around me, especially when I was in Chicago, where um they're both um buried. And so mm. I was there with my whole family and I always pick up a good, um, deep energy whenever I get on that land in in Chicago near the lake south side. So I um, am so grateful for both of them and for all of my ancestors. I know for sure they love me. I know for sure that they are resting because of the rest that I'm doing in this dimension. And so it's reparations work. And I know that they um, are very open and overjoyed to know that they haven't been forgotten and that we're still um, being connected and resurrected together um, in the dream space and reclaiming the space that was stolen from them. I'm reclaiming it for them so they can rest and we can rest now. And so the whole work really started from a deep place of um, ancestor reverence and uplifting what has happened and what has been done to, you know, my ancestors' bodies, to their spirits, to their, their, um, energy everything and so the examination started with me you know in a black woman's body mm. who was experimenting with deep a legacy of deep exhaustion and so um i feel the connection deeply i know they are happy i dedicated the book to my dad i, I won't stop talking about aura my grandmother the muse of this work and so many my great-grandmother Rody and my aunts and my you know all the people who are in a different realm now still with us i know that they're happy Thank you. And I mean, you go into detail about your father, his work mm-hmm. in, as an activist, but mm-hmm. also just his daily work, the grind that he was in. Yeah. And you also talk about your grandmother. It felt like she was pioneering this mm-hmm. rest as resistance with her mm-hmm. daily, uh, like her eyes resting, those mm-hmm. moments. How did that like inform what you've created, both in that ministry, but also this book. Yeah, I talk about, you know, this this entire ministry is a historical examination. Like people saw it pop up online and just social media um, in its uh, ways, in its very toxic ways, doesn't allow for things to really have a deep understanding. And so the work really came out of me being an archivist and working in the archives at Emory University and their manuscript um, collection with the African-American papers and really being able to touch and hold and study and cultural trauma in the Jim Crow South and Jim Crow terrorism and, and slavery. And so the work really, you can't 
enter into the work without getting into the history because they, 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 it is the work, you know, that's what the work is. And so I think that um, they informed my work so much because it was for them who I was resting for. I began to rest my body to connect with them. I would get dreams. I talk about the dreams I had in um, in the book that I, when I would take, a, when I would sleep, I would have all these dreams with my, um, with my grandmother and how I felt like this work really came to me in a dream. And so this work is the creation of a woman who was exhausted and, but very curious, mm-hmm. but she, her freedom came through not being exhausted. So this work couldn't have come out of an exhausted mind. And so the more I exa- rested, the more I connected the ideas and my ancestors gave me kind of the guide um, to be able to see this work as a real commitment um, to their reparations. Thank you. And, you know, I have a confession and I'm sure you've heard this before, mm-hmm. but a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine attended a NAP ministry event in Oakland, probably like three, four, it's been a while. And mm-hmm. I remember when she described what was, you know, what she had entered and mm-hmm. like the freedom that she felt. I just felt like, well, I don't know if that's possible for me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I hear you. I hear yeah. what you feeling that it yeah. was wonderful. Mm-hmm. But listen, I'm too busy. You know, yeah. I was in that place. I ain't got the time. And then, mm-hmm. you know, lately um, I've really decided, I think your book supported me, but mm-hmm. before I decided I, I really need to do this. Yes. I need to invest in this rest joy, pleasure. Yes. But I but I didn't start there. So I no. want to just ask about the folks who were like me, who who you're, feel you're, like you're I in don't good have company. Space. You're in good company. You're you're in company with most of the world. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of people. I mean, this is an outlier movement. This movement is not in any way, shape, or form like mainstream. And I I'm so grateful for that. I give thanks every day for that. This is a real underground outlier um community care, you know art intervention that is um, really on the ground and hands-on. And so I think that the book, I'm so happy for it to be published so that people can have a field guide. They can have this care manual that they can carry with them as they're experimenting in their communities and as they're trying to unravel from the grips of capitalism. So I'm not surprised that anyone would um, listen to this idea and be like, oh, that sounds great. Because if you've been bamboozled and brainwashed since birth and socialized into this idea of capitalism and white supremacy, of course, of course you would not see your rest as something valuable or see your rest as something that is your divine and human right. Because we've been trained since birth, sometimes even before birth. I talk about that in the book about my son mm-hmm. on this rush, this white cult of supremacy, white supremacy cult of urgency, of rushing, of perfection, of always doing, of connecting our divine human worth to how much we get done. And I think we need to sit in how violent and destructive and toxic that idea is that we look at a divine human body, a miracle, you know, and we see it and degrade mm-hmm. its divinity and see it as only something that is a tool to do things, to accomplish a tool of production for a system, um, doesn't deserve or um, need rest or care or joy or pleasure. Like, the fact that we feel guilt and shame when it comes to resting tells us at the crisis that we are in, um, we're past a crisis. We're really in deep, um, dark waters when it comes to our ideas of who we are and what the systems has done to us on a, such a spiritual level. 
when it comes to our own self-worth. Like it's robbed us of that. And so this work really is an invitation to be more human. Mm-hmm. If I can put it in a concise, you know, distilled way, that's really what the work is. Thank you. I mean, in the book, you say that grind culture is violent. Yes, it is. And I would love to hear you unpack that some more because so many people kind of resist that word violent. Mm -hmm. Like there's something that comes up like, but I agree with you. Mm -hmm. And I would just love to hear you say more about why you think it's violent. Mm -hmm. Well, violence comes in many forms. And so Mm this culture, this whole culture was founded on violence. So this is a culture of violence. That's where you live. And so to be uncomfortable about me calling something within a culture of violence, violence just is something that we're going to have to meditate and sit with and and start to begin to heal from this um, toxic curriculum of white supremacy and capitalism. It's toxic. And also talk about the history of of this whole work. And it goes back to, um, you know, the American South and um, where my ancestors were enslaved on plantations. Capitalism was created on plantations. And I think people got to sit with that and understand what a plantation was and what was happening in these sites of terror, you know, and what Mm. was going on for centuries and centuries. The American sin of slavery is something that we still haven't reckoned with. And to know what was going on um, and happening to the bodies there, I'm talking about indigenous people as well, African people, like what was happening in those places to be able to experiment with a system that could automate a human being, that could see profit over people, that could try to um, become an economic engine. You know, the amount of money that was being made on people in the South picking cotton, agricultural money. Cotton was such a rich agriculture that they called it white gold. So if you were a grower in the South of cotton, you were, um, they would say, oh, you got that white gold. You know, it was that um, valuable and so much money. And so when I think about the, the, the engine that drove that, the engine that drove, you know, enslaving human beings and killing them. And just like the, the evils of slavery, um, it's the same energy that's happening today. I don't know why it's, it's just morphed and changed. It's got contemporary, but the way capitalism um, abuses and exploits bodies and abuses the labor of black and brown women and men in this culture, the way, uh, capitalism and just collaboration between white supremacy is what grind culture is. And so grind culture wants us all working 24 hours a day, seven days. It doesn't see you as human. And so mm-hmm. that is the ultimate form of violence to me for someone to not see you as a human being. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I mean, your book does such a good job. I mean, it's an amazing job of representing the voices by bringing in testimonies and stories yeah. and I mean, I was just enamored and feel like I have a lot more research that I want to yes. do, but yes. you unearthed something for me that I hadn't been aware of. I am Jamaican and mm-hmm. American, mm-hmm. and as a Jamaican, I've heard about the Jamaican Maroons. Always, lot, yes. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Jamaican Maroons, Jamaican Maroons. Always. I didn't know yes. about American Maroons. Absolutely. I wanted you to talk about American That's, Maroons. They are, are named in the book as one of the greatest inspirations for this type of liberation work for me. I found out about them like very late in my life too. Um, I talk about that in the book that I, I was an organizer and um, a lot of, you know, major um, organizing campaigns all over the country. I have, I was raised an organizer. I'm a historian. I'm an archivist. And I had not heard about wow. the American Maroons. It's such a history that has been erased. Um, like they erased so much of um, Black and Indigenous history and this culture. And so that I found out that when I was at a um, 
Black Land and Liberation um, organizing. And the woman came and presented um, this book to us as one of the organizing strategies when it comes to really creating these um, alternative and spiritual and physical places of freedom via um, land. And so these were Black farmers I was working with and people who were growing food and really into the land, um, um, reclaiming the land so they can grow on it and feed families and communities. And so, yeah, this the Maroons are, I don't even want to give it away because I want people to read about them and I want them to read the book, yes. um, Slavery's Exiles. These were Black folks jumping off slave ships before they, um, when they got to shore, they was already planning to jump off subversive, inventive people leaving plantations and never once looking back and never going back, like not fugitives, but literally they just decided they weren't going to be a part of the system. And they lived in caves and in trees and in the bush and all these places in Virginia and Georgia and Mississippi. And so the African, the African, the North American Maroons are one of my greatest inspirations. And so in the back of the book, there's a Nat Ministry library and it names the books you know, some of the books, I can't name them all yeah. the pages, but some of the books that have been particularly focused on grounding um, this experimentation and rest, because it is an experimentation, the whole idea, the framework, the praxis has been me experimenting on my own body, but also working with the community and collaboration and um, deepening into the eye of community care and using the organizing principles I was um, raised doing and knowing and adding theology into it, adding performance art, installation, adding um, community organizing and spirit work. So it it has the, the potential to be something you could study forever. And I've been reading a book for seven years. This book called Womanist wow. Theological Ethics. I've been in it for seven years, taking my time, tapping it, writing. So I think slow research, hmm. slowing down, not being in book competitions where you're reading a book a month. And, you know, like... <laughs> Just really like becoming a curious um, researcher and witness about your own life and doing mm. that by carrying around a notebook, handwriting things, going into books and taking your time. So I want people to write in my book, underline, highlight, read it in community with other people and book groups, just people in their family, like really see it as a um, field guide for the movement. Yeah, I mean, your book, we have it on a reading list that we have from my office, but I keep talking about it in every possible space because nice. of the history, like mm -hmm. the fact that you have told us some things that I think, like you said, has been wiped away yeah. uh, by mainstream dominant culture. Yeah. And so I just, as many people can read this book, I'm like, please thank you. read yeah. this book. <laughs> Um, I also want to talk about uh, some of the other luminaries that you mentioned in your book and Harriet Tubman being like really first yeah. among them, but bell hooks, Dr. King, right? And in the mention of Harriet Tubman, it's in the spirit of freedom and yes. the ability to follow your intuitive guidance. Yes. And so do you think intuition is a portal to freedom? And if Absolutely. so, why? Yes, I think. I think sleep is a portal to freedom. And I think your intuition deepens when you um, are well rested, when you sleep, when you dream, when you slow down, when you have silence. Like our body is this site of liberation. It's just uh, this teacher that wants to share so many things with us. But we're so noisy and so 
like disconnected, um, call ourselves being connected. We're connected on technology, but disconnected from the technology of our own bodies. And so the disconnection is deep in our own, in our bodies because our body has its own technology. And so people um, really understanding that this work is a slow unraveling. I call it a meticulous love practice. So I say, mm. This is a meticulous love practice that will be a lifelong um, shift that will be happening for the rest of your days. Um, and for that, I give so much thanks for that. I don't want to be rushed. I don't want to be quick, trying to be quick on this. That's that's the part of the issue now is that we're always so rushed, so quick, so consuming, always consuming, can't stop. And that's just part of the beast of um white supremacy and capitalism that has trained us to be in this like numbed, quick, overworked, zombie place because when it's, when you're like that, you're easier to manipulate, I think. And so I think mm. the more we can tap into our intuition, our dreams, I call this work freedom dreaming, like to dream yourself free. Um, sleep and intuition are very closely um, tied to each other. Um, and I think that part of that is the listening. When I talk about my grandmother, Aura, and she similar to Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman was stopping along the Underground Railroad to pray. She, mm. I mean, she got the, can you imagine like the bounty on her head and all the dogs? Mm. She, she was never caught once, but she was stopped at moments by trees and around different nature areas, rivers, and just stopped to pray to get a word on go left or right. So her mm. deep intuition of the stars and the sky and the um, bird sound. She was also a birder and knew was very particular about bird sounds and could like identify mm. birds all throughout her journey. She was um, deeply into sky gazing and an astrologer so she could follow the North Star. So to be in tune with things that are outside of these phones that are outside of the noise and to go into the internal intuition and also with the intuition that the earth wants to provide to us. I think all of that is going to come when we go into a slow down state. Thank you. In the book, you also talk about radical community care and, you know, this society in particular is very individualist. It's about the individual. I'd love to hear you talk about what, Radical community care looks like. Yeah. Why it's so important? It looks like, it looks really like accepting. Like it's going to be um, a grief moment. I, I like to, I talk about grief a lot in the book, but I always like to uplift grief and rest kind of being collaborators with each other. But it's going to be a grieving moment that this society and this culture is going to have to go through before they can jump to the next step. We always want to rush everything and tell me how to get to the next step. Like you're really going to have to sit in this for a little bit that you've been manipulated since birth by a system that does not see you as a human being, by a system that has its alignment in terror, violence, you know, um, the transatlantic slave trade, indigenous killing indigenous people. Like the history of the system that we're, we were born into and what it has done to our um, beings as human beings, as divine humans, it's really something that people need to sit with a little bit. And that's part, I think, of the resting practice. So I talk about in the book how to curate a rest practice, how to begin to slowly unravel and uncover and accept and um, deprogram and just take your slow time and have mercy and grace to yourself to understand that this is going to be a lifelong um, experience and that you have to give grace because the, the engine continues to go. 
And so you got to be like the Maroons. You got to be subversive and flexible and inventive and imaginative. You got to just make it happen. You know, you have to snatch rest and, and um, really begin to work with each other. We won't be able to do this work alone. So the community care piece is deep for this work. I don't mention self-care one time in the book. It's 55,000 words. And I, do, I did that intentionally oh, because okay. I want to uplift community care, communal care. The self has been lifted up enough. The individual has been lifted up enough. We're not going to survive without each other. That's just where our interconnectedness is so deeply tied that this rest work has to be done in collection and community and uh, communal with each other. It started that way. Um, it's the way liberation work is always done. Healing can't be done alone. You know, healing justice can't be done alone. And so the deepening of that is that you have to make space for yourself to rest, but you also have to look at this work. It's not just an invitation to lay down. It's not just about laying down. If you're a racist, if you're a um, homophobe, if you're, you know, deeply into patriarchy, upholding that, if you're um, all the anti-Black, all these rest and naps are not going to save you. You know, <laughs> this work mm -hmm. is about mm -hmm. decolonizing your alignment with these systems, beginning to see straight, beginning to wake up from the um, numbing out that has happened as being part of a culture that it's 24-7, never paused, overworked, burnt out bodies. And so this is a slow connection to decolonize and come back to your humanness. Mm -hmm. And so the community care pieces that we're going to have to do this together because um, we're all going to be um, connected whether we want to or not. Martin Luther King Jr. says it's this, when this fabric, we're tied together whether we want to or not. You know, he mm -hmm. talks about this deep interconnectedness of our um, of our culture. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I mean, another thing you say is that we can't wait for permission, the systems, no. for the systems to give us permission. Mm -hmm. And so many of us are, there are people waiting, oh, when my job does this, yeah, when this thing They're happens. not going to. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? They're not going to. So oh. you're saying, mm -hmm. do it now, right? Yeah, that's regardless. your wisdom. Yes. Yeah. The, the time to rest is now. The time to get your freedom is now. The time to disrupt and push back against these uh ancient toxic systems it's time you know to do it now and so that's where it kind of lies in this um activist work and this work around spirit work and the idea that this is a spiritual practice and so why are we waiting for anything external to tell us about anything um that's in, in us you know we don't need to listen to the weight on the system to tell us anything we already know the way our bodies know better our bodies um, no, they keep the score. They know what's happening. They have our body is this connection to the divine. So the more we can care for it, slow down um, with it, love on it, um, bring it back to its human state and get it away from the machine level pace, um, the more we'll be able to deepen, you know, into this work in a, in a slow, slow way. Thank you. And I think you're also like so honest in this book that, you know, it's always a risk to go against dominant culture. Absolutely. Like, you better believe it. Yes. <laughs> you going to be at risk. Mm -hmm. uh, and my thing is, I think I've learned that myself. And there's a lot of fear. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of fear. Survival mode is up for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. Do you have any wisdom about uh, for someone who's working to find that courage to, to rock the boat a little bit? <laughs> any I wisdom? Think, I think slow down and rest more. Like I know this sounds, but literally, even if it's 10 minutes a day, even if you don't jump on your phone as soon as you wake up and you do some detoxing of technology, 
we are the master teachers. Our body knows. And so I want people to understand the more you can get in touch and slow down enough that you can connect with your body and mind. That's what resting is. It's slowing down you enough so that you can connect that slowly and surely you'll come back to your humanness and you'll begin to feel human because this body is divine. It's a site of liberation, which is like the second tenet of the ministry to really deepen into the idea that the work is to rest. There is no extra, the work is to rest, rest. And anything that you want that um, is talking about liberation, we have to have rest as the center of it. We won't get to um, liberation from exhausted bodies and mind, nothing nothing generative can come from exhaustion and um rest is a generative state of freedom and so my answer is always when can you slow down more how can you slow down to the wisdom that your body already holds inside how can you connect more with what already has happened you know connecting to history i think those are the ways that you will begin to um lessen the fear, you know, and begin to even leap when you're still scared, you know, like when I talk about my family, they leap without a net all the time, you know, that radical mm. faith to them, it felt like mm. dancing to do that. that. That's, you know, to leap without a net, they was always making a way out of nowhere. And so dig deep and go into the cracks of your own understanding and your own origin story and in the beauty and power of us working together of your own community, build community with each other. Mm-hmm. And you do talk about radical faith in the book. What is the distinction in your mind between faith and radical faith? Hmm. I mean, I think they, faith alone is just a full on leaping. It's a, I think the word radical comes from the root. So the word radical mm-hmm. is at the root. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think radical to me means a sustained faith, a faith that, it's kind of unmovable, unshakable. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not the type of faith that is attached to things that have happened that make you believe. It's literally just I'm, I have faith that this is going to be good. You know, and you have this deeper spiritual connection to someone outside of you, to the earth, to whatever your um path is, to your own hearts, you know, to your own breathing, to your own body. And so I think the radical nature is that it gets deep and deep into the root. It stays there. It reminds me of um, Alice Walker's quote about womanism. She said, mm-hmm. irregardless, like irregardless of what, I'm going to get free. You know, like when Harriet Tubman said freedom or death, like when she mm-hmm. was walking those roads, trying to walk to freedom with um, all of her comrades, it was, it was no, it was freedom or death. And so I think that radical faith can be something that feels like a soft blanket that you Mm -hmm. surrender to, that this rest movement is really about the softening. It's about softening. It's about the softening. It's not about Mm. tough, hard, rushed, rigid. It's flexible. It's um, intuitive. You know, it's slow. It's soft. It's um, it's pervasive in a way that um, is unmovable. And so I think the more we can deepen into that, what resting is, um, the deeper this freedom will come for us. I love that idea of softening. Um, the other thing that you explore in the book and you really share about is Afrofuturism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned a lot of the folks like Octavia Butler and mm-hmm. all of that, that work. But it really did cause me to think about what would be possible for us if we took away the barriers mm-hmm. to really imagine into yeah. what's possible, the change that's possible. Can you say more about how Afro 
futurism has inspired this work and your work generally? I think that I will say about that is not a lot of people have studied Afrofuturism. So I will offer that people, they're on YouTube. Mm -hmm. YouTube has such an amazing collection of Sun Ra, S-U-N, Sun Ra, R-A, the um, father, the grandfather of Afrofuturism, a a filmmaker, a deep, beautiful, improbable, jazz musician like brilliant um he's an ancestor now but his orchestra um still plays and so really deepen into sunrise and his films his movies his um music his writings there's so many documentaries out about him um spaces the place um a, a black planet like this idea of imagining so there is the, a part of the book is called imagine so the book is broken up into four parts mm. And imagination and imagining is so important for this work that I gave it its own part. So I have a whole section where I just deepen into the idea of imagination and how bell hooks will call it a tool. One of the greatest tools of oppressed people is to have imagination, to be able to imagine your way um, to freedom, to be able to sit and dream up and imagine a world that you want to see. And so I love that quote from her. I love people deepening slowly into research. Like I've been researching this work for over 10 years, but it really at the end of the day is the collaboration of 25 years of um of being an artist, of being a poet, a writer, of being raised by um a black preacher who was also, you know, deeply into the Black Panther Party, a union organizer, my dad, and really the black church as one of the centers, you know, studying theology, studying somatics and really just slowly not rushing the ideas and understanding that this work is just beginning, that it will be expanded upon, that people will use this document and um, also begin to experiment more with their bodies about what, what rest can do for you them. Because at the end of the day, we can talk about it for 300 more hours. At the end of the day, you're just going to have to lay down. Like, and you're going to have to have the praxis and the practice of seeing what rest can do for your body and closing your eyes and, and really embodying this work. So it's embodied work. Thank you. And you mentioned our addiction to social media in the book and the fact that you step away from it, you detox, um, and I'm like, I'm going to take a note and work on that myself. But one of the things that I thought after I was reading some of what you shared in the book about social media is if we, if, if folks can create a metaverse, mm-hmm. if, you know, there can be all these things that we do with technology, there can be more done toward our well-being, toward ending racism and homo. I mean, I feel like there's an opening to imagine mm-hmm. on the side of social media. Do you see? Any possibilities like that, especially if you look at it through an Afrofuturist lens? No, I don't. I, I mean, many people would disagree with me, but I am a purist when it comes to that. Okay. I believe in ancient communication. I believe in uh, the civil rights movement being done in basements of churches by word of mouth. And look what they did. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. technology is just driving us deeper and deeper into exhaustion that I talk about that in the book. It was not created. Um, it was created as a th- function of capitalism as an extension of capitalism so I myself don't think capitalism is irredeemable it's redeemable in any way and so no I think that we're going to have to I say that I put our laptops down put our cell phones down go back to the ancient technology of our bodies of connecting one-on-one with people of vintage communication writing 
you know, calling on the landline phone, analog, you know, visiting, building communities with each other. Now, I know that social media in itself is, I talk about this being, a um, there's a two different things, nuance, you know, they has brought a lot of people together. Technology has its pluses. It's been able to remix and allow a lot of communities to connect deeply with each other, which is so important. But for this rest message, for this idea, I am a purist and I am going back to if you read what I'm if you read what I'm influenced by, you'll say I get why she's not into that. So you have to go read the book and get the library in the back and kind of take your time and deepen into my ideas there. Um, they're um, in a lot of ways asking for us to imagine a new world. Th- and that includes not metaverse, all of that is it's a world now. So we, we, we have something that's outside of that. So it has to be mm-hmm. a new world that doesn't even include any of that because that's that's there. And so that's what this work ultimately is. It's, it's, it's a work that's really asking for the impossible. And that's what a good manifesto does. It kind of um, calls for the impossible. Calls for the impossible. I love that you say you're a purist mm-hmm. and that that yeah resonates. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you something about boundaries, though, because, you know, you detail in the book about the ways that you've set boundaries, like even your Sabbaths and your times away. And folks still seem to find a way to say, well, can you do this? Any- mm-hmm. when you, you know, like this thing. And it's mm-hmm. connected to me to this uh, notion of urgency that everybody has. So where do you think, uh, like, two questions, really, it's like, why do you think we should do away with this idea of urgency? And like, why do you think it's so hard for people to respect boundaries? Because the entire culture has never taught us or modeled boundaries or consent. So Mm. it goes back to knowing where you live and knowing the history of what white supremacy as ideology is. I think we for whatever reason, maybe it's too painful, ignore that and really don't just sit with that for a little bit and really research and deepen into that. The curriculum of white supremacy, the ideology of it is what we've been taught since birth, that this is why we decolonize because we have been colonized to think all of these things that are false about our bodies, ourselves. Urgency is one of the main tenets of white supremacy work culture, along with perfectionism, along with the written word being more important than verbal, you know, communication, like all of these ideas that are on a binary, you know, this binary is going to kill us. The idea that it's either this or that, when there's so much flow and fluidity and imagination that exists in our bodies, in our communities, that this rigid idea of what we should be doing, this rigid idea of this system is not in any way sustainable. Um, it's not caring. It does not care. And so that goes back to the idea of really deepening into understanding where you live and what this is and what it means for your life. And so that you're not um, surprised and can't understand why they wouldn't want me to rest because they want you on. Because the, they don't. That's not what capitalism calls for. Capitalism calls for you to be a machine. And so you as a human want to rest. And that's why it'll never give you a moment to rest. And so deepen into the idea of what, how, how violent and pervasive this is and understand that everything you learned about um, things around care, labor, your body, um, everything really has been influenced by a toxic system and influenced by, you know, a lot of brainwashing that's not true about who you are. And so the truth about who you are is that you are enough now that um, the, the systems can't have you, that you don't ultimately belong to them from a spiritual sense. You don't belong to them at all, that you can imagine a new way and you can um, you have the divine power 
um, and energy. Your body is this beautiful site of liberation. Wherever it's at, you can find it. You can tap into that. And so to just know and, and settle into the thing of someone saying to you, thank you for living, you know, thank you for being here, for resting, for resisting, for, you know, speaking truth to power, you know, um, thank you for wanting to find care and love, wanting to find rest, you know, wanting to like know that I don't know exactly what the end going to look like, but I know it ain't this. And so this prophetic hope of imagination, this idea of what could be true, um, if you can imagine it. And I think that the more we can sit in that and understand that that is totally counter um, intuitive to what's happening now to begin to integrate that we've been, you know, brainwashed. And so I started the net ministry social media part because I particularly wanted to be a, a tool to help people to begin to deprogram. And so I was very intentional about how I was going to work with social media and use it as like a propaganda machine that I can be able to put out these beautiful messages. You are enough. Go lay down. The systems can't have you. You are beautiful. Go rest. Like all of these propaganda messages that I'm using to help. Um, one of the many things I'm using to help deprogram people and to get them back centered to again being human. You know, in the book, you do talk about how you started this on faith. Like it was a lot of ways, radical faith and that intuitive knowing, and that you were in the in the midst of school mm-hmm. and so many things that could be um could have distracted you from this could you just share how faith informed this walk and the work that you're doing it was it was it was rest of death you know i was i was killing myself um, from being exhausted it was a sleep deprivation is a real thing it's it affects our health our health our mental health our actual body health um everything about us is like off kiltered and not supported when we are sleep deprived and exhausted and so it it wasn't um a thing where I'm going to choose this. It was more like mm-hmm. there is no other way. I want freedom. I'm connected to freedom. I don't want death. I don't want exhaustion. I know that there's something else. And so it simply was me just taking it day by day. I did not have any idea that it would be what it is. I did not mm-hmm. know if it will work. It was basically just doing what all Black women do before them. They see an issue and they try to solve a problem within their own realms of their understanding and they experiment and they um, make things happen. And so I just kept experimenting and I kept trusting my body and trusting the creator and trusting my ancestors more than I trusted the systems. Mm, thank you. I feel like that's so valuable for so many of us to hear. And thank you so much. And I know that this book will cover everything from end to end, the process, including the grief that might come up as you go through it and the joy that you find. Trisha, this conversation has been so illuminating. It has been so warm and heartfelt. Mm. And I know that I learned so much and so many of our viewers, the people who are tuning in have learned from you. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation. It's been a joy. So Keep resting, keep you know, <laughs> trying to make it happen. Keep being inventive around your time and your body is yours to invent and experiment with. Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs Podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. We recognize that our university's building in San Francisco occupies traditional, unceded Ramaytush Ohlone lands. 
If you are interested in learning more about Native lands, languages, and territories, the website native-land.ca is a helpful resource for you to learn about and acknowledge the Indigenous land where you live. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team also includes Izzy Angus, Kyle DiMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Patty Fort, and Nikki Rhoda. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. CIIS Public Programs commits to use our in-person and online platforms to uplift the stories and teachings of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, those in the LGBTQIA community, and all of those whose lives emerge from the intersections of multiple identities.